Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Hello, listeners. Do I have a treat for you today? Charlize Theron is in the house. That's right. What a remarkable thing it is to look back on the arc of her career. Talk about a trailblazer. Yes, she's had Academy Award nominations. Yes, she won for Oscar. Yes, she's an A-list action star. Yes, she's a producer of critically acclaimed film and television. And yes, she's always been a longtime activist. And oh, yeah, single mom. (laughs) I remember when Charlize first arrived in Hollywood because it was basically when I first arrived in Hollywood. And she was just this stunner. She was magnificent. You couldn't take your eyes off of her. But the fact that she didn't lean into that, she leaned into the work and was able to carve out such a more interesting and fascinating career and not to mention longevity. I mean, if you think about her performances in Monster to the stuff she's done with Jason Reitman, Young Adult and Tully, playing Furiosa in Mad Max, which I consider a masterpiece. And then just most recently to Megyn Kelly in last year's Bombshell, again, Oscar nominated for that. Her ability to transform herself again and again, in my opinion, just puts her in a different league. And we talk about all of that, but we also talk about her brilliant new film, The Old Guard, which is streaming now on Netflix. So without further ado, here is Charlize Theron. Charlize, awesome to see you. All the same here. I got to say, let me just start this by saying I love this movie. I watched it twice. It's so fun. It's so smart. It is engaging, interesting, different, surprising in a genre that you think you know everything about, but you know nothing about. It was great. I love, love, love. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you so much. I just wanted to get my enthusiasm out of the way. I will give it to me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you let, let's just talk about old guard how did this come to you just start with the basics like was it just a script that arrived or someone said hey maybe you want to look at this were you always set to star in it or maybe just produce it just take me a little bit through the journey i was shooting a bombshell and uh we were about three weeks into shooting that film which was just like a completely different world and my agent called and said we we what at Denver Delilah, um, my production company, we'd been actively searching for a bigger sci-fi film, but that something that could still feel grounded. We didn't want to do crazy, fantastical sci-fi. So that's a tricky thing to look for and to find. And anyway, they called, they said, we, we just read this graphic novel by Greg Rucka. You should look at it. It, it looks like what you guys are looking for. So we, um, me and my two partners, who we were sitting at Video Village. And we started paging through it. And in about 20 pages, we realized that this was very much in line with what we were looking for. There was real heart, real humanity, but big set pieces. It felt like a really challenging films, film for us to go and produce and, and also for, for me to act in. Mm-hmm. It 
really, I think what what's the success of the film is those is the humanity of it, that pathos and the sadness that comes with these characters that you've never seen explored before on screen. You know, there's always a kind of, it's entertaining, but it's always 2D. And what what you guys did was really make it 3D about the sacrifices and what it actually would mean to live forever and what what those, the, the real consequences of that is. Thank you for, for noticing that. Um, yeah, listen, Greg Rucka did an incredible job exploring that already in the graphic novel. It's just, you know, it's very different than when you kind of put something in a more visceral sense out there. It's just a different format. But the heart of everything that you just talked about was in the graphic novel. And it wasn't a surprise to me to find out um, recently that he, you know, wrote the graphic novel right after the, he, um, the death of his father. There was something very authentic in his search and asking these big questions that felt very powerful and very human. And so the juxtaposition of that big world and still feeling like, you know, it was a modern story felt very reflective. It felt, you know, also it was very global. It, it, it's very diverse. Like that's Greg really, you know, started all of that in the graphic novel. And we just kind of tried to bleed that out a little bit more as we were making the film. Yeah, the cast is great. I mean, it's with Chiwetel Ejiofor and Kiki Lane. Oh my God, I love Kiki Lane. I did, when I was at Vanity Fair, she was, I did a Vanities opener on her. Uh, She's tremendous in this movie. And also for you, it was so nice to see the two women on screen like that and kind of the older, younger mentee-mentor relationship, which you've never seen females. I've never seen that. And I've seen a lot of movies and I'm not young and I've never seen that. So that to me was also an added. We definitely need more of that for sure. I agree. Uh, yeah, she's a, she is a warrior. And I, I think we all, I can speak for all of us. We felt very lucky when we got her for this film. I can't imagine anybody else playing that part. And she worked really hard. You know, I think people will assume that she came from a background of something athletic or, and, and she doesn't, she never played any sports. She was uh, never a dancer. Uh, and I couldn't believe when she told me that because I trained with her. We trained for four and a half months before we went to start to shoot this. And so I got to know her a little bit and watching her in the gym. I mean, it's really impressive how hard she had to work to get to this level of fighting. Talk to me about the training for you. Like you, you've done this before. Obviously, Atomic Blonde was incredible stunts. I love that movie too. That action, it was just like opera, how that was uh, mapped out. But how was this different training for this particular time and also training with a partner, training with, with Kiki? So it was different in the sense that I had to learn... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the character is supposed to, she's lived for so long that she's like a, she's an expert martial arts fighter in every field of martial arts, which is just like, you know, an impossible task for her to to hand over to an actor. But I worked with, um, an incredible stunt team and second unit crew. And, uh, Danny Hernandez was my fight coordinator and he really focused on trying to cover as much martial arts as we possibly could and maybe finding one or two moves that he knew that I would have strength in. And we really focused on getting that technically right, which was just so different from training for atomic atomic was really more based in Muay Thai. And I, I, I learned how to fight in Muay Thai, but the character also, she gets scrappy, you know, she, when push comes to shove, she'll take a pot or a hose and 
there was a scrappiness to her fighting, whereas Andy is a very technically skilled fighter and it's effortless for her. So that was just a completely different thing for me. I mean, you're on a horse, you have that two-sided axe. It's like there's nothing you can't do. It's incredible. Those set, those big set pieces and the one on the plane, it just, it, it, the way it was shot, it felt like you were basically doing 99.9% of that fighting. Yeah, I think today when you tackle the genre, that's kind of what's uh, demanded. I think, you know, I think Keanu Reeves and the John Wick series really changed how we look at narrative through physical storytelling. And it just doesn't make sense to create fights that actors really can't accomplish because, you know, removing them from that narrative is it's a, it's a huge part of the storytelling in the genre. And so you have to work with the right team, you know, who can assess you properly, know what your strengths are and work on, on your strengths and not try to force a circle into a square by, you know, teaching you or trying to teach you something that you're never going to get down in four months. But, you know, so it's not coming from a place of like ego, like, yeah, I want to do all my fights. It really comes from a place of, you know, the scene that you just brought up, for instance, between Kiki and I, we have this huge, within the first act of the film, a big fight scene on a plane. And that scene is a very important scene because it is like kind of the real introduction to these two characters And so it says a lot about them and what their relationship is when they meet each other. And to have somebody else do that would just feel like such a cheat. So we did do a lot of of our stunts, but they were really, the choreography was designed for us. So so that we could do it. All right. Well, let's talk about Gina Prince-Blythewood because this is her first action movie. I mean, I remember seeing Love and Basketball 20 years ago in Sundance. Uh, So this is a big departure for her. And you guys, obviously, as a producer, you wanted to work with her. And, And just tell me about how that process was with, like, two strong female leads, her directing it. Is it any different? Yeah, this movie was very different in the sense that we had a lot of women on it. Uh, All of our big department heads, um, the majority of them were taken by women. We had three female producers on this, which was pretty badass. And then, of course, Gina. I mean, I think it was important right from the beginning to make conscious decisions. And really, they were not difficult decisions to make because the talent pool when it comes to women in in my industry is actually overflowing. I don't know why we are still, you know, just relying on our old checklists of uh, department heads and mostly predominantly male department heads. We really broke the glass ceiling uh, in that sense on this film. And I'm really proud of that. And I think the film really is what it is because of um, the input of so many women on this film. Mm -hmm. I know I do feel like I always want to get to the point where I'm not having to talk about a female director and female producers. You know, I've been waiting for, for that moment when it just becomes a producer. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's normalized, but unfortunately we're not there yet. And so it's good that we're talking about it so that, you know, I think, the more we are talking about it, the more I think my industry will realize that there there should be pressure on all of us to continue this. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it feels like caveman talk sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
Agree. (laughs) All right. So I feel like I've been with you from the very start of your career, at least witnessing it. I remember seeing two days in the valley and being like, oh, my God, who is that? Uh, Who is this person? But what's interesting to me and even recognizing that as a young person in this industry covering it is how you've always created your own opportunities. And I've been really impressed by the choices that you've made. Because at that time, it was like, oh, my God, this is this is the next movie star when we're really looking to anoint and certainly within Vanity Fair. And I remember you were on the Hollywood cover for Devil's Advocate, and then you were on your own cover, which, you know, Annie Leibovitz shot. And that's right when I was like in the apprenticing and in the in the middle of it all. And then your choices from there had to be difficult because they had to be very brave when I look at it in the past, you know, to to make a movie like Monster and to to not be typecast as the gorgeous, you know, blonde bombshell movie star as the girlfriend or as this. So talk to me about that. Was that something that you came into this industry thinking or was that something that evolved after you started working a little bit? It was a different time when I started. I think, you know, just just to remind people when I started, there was, I was not a good model, but I had, I worked as a model. And so this was at a time when, you know, Cindy Crawford uh, did a film, a few models tried to kind of cross over. It didn't go very well. And so it was like death, you know, just, just whether I was a good model or not, this idea that would be like, oh, she's a model. It was death. And that's not the case today. I think we're way more evolved and open to, you know, people getting more opportunities or not being so, um, not having so many preconceived ideas about people who come out of that industry. But it was, it was, so in a sense, when I got that job and she was this femme fatale in this kind of, um, noir film, uh, everything that followed after that was like, you know, exactly the same. It was like every offer I got was like, we just want her to do exactly what she did in two days in the Valley. So I was very aware that I was going to be pigeonholed and I had to, I had to choose whether I was going to go with that or whether I was going to risk not working until I could find something that showed some more, you know, just, just didn't feel like a regurgitated performance or so I didn't work uh, after that movie for a couple of years. Uh, I was I was also told by a lot of people in the industry that I I was um, that I was probably never going to work. Uh, but I took the chance because I felt like if I didn't, if I couldn't find stuff and do stuff that showed some versatility, that I was going to be part of the problem. If I was going to keep playing that role, then I was going to kind of encourage people to just only cast me in that. So the the first film that felt like a breakthrough was, uh, was Devil's Advocate. And I, you know, that was the, it was the most tedious uh, auditioning process that I had ever gone through in my entire life. But I was so willing to go through it to prove myself because I knew that that film would change what was to follow. But yeah, I think up until Monster, I was still struggling with that. I was still... You know, whenever whenever I got the girlfriend or the the wife role, I was trying to make wine out of water. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like uh, those those roles are what they are. So until Monster came along, I think that kind of just dissolved any kind of preconceived idea that people had about me or what I was capable of. Um, and then I was willing to kind of go through those physical transformations. You are incredible in Monster. 
and you also got an Oscar for it. And I and I agree with you. I think people went in thinking like, wait, oh, wow, she's really transformed. Let's go see this Charlize transform into this, you know, serial sociopath, right? Mm-hmm. And one minute into the movie, you're just watching that sociopath. You're, you forget that it's you playing the part and whatnot. So I think that that is just was such a game changer. And also you produced it. And again, you produced it with someone who, you know, Patty Jenkins, who had only done two shorts. So again, you're taking like, that's a huge risk. And I want to just say for our listeners, when, when I talk about producing, like a lot of, and this is no, no judgment, but a lot of actors have kind of more vanity producing deals where, you know, so they can control a little bit more, but you're really a producer. I mean, from I'm just going to read the list for everybody. So Monster, Young Adult, Tully, A Private War, Atomic Blonde, Long Shot, Bombshell, okay, The Old Guard, and then your television series, oh, Mindhunter, like <laughs> huge. And then you did Hyperdrive as well. I mean, you are really, you're really a producer. What is it that you love about producing? Because you have to love it because it's not easy. Yes, I totally agree. I get a creative satisfaction from producing that's very similar to the creative satisfaction I get when I'm acting. And, you know, Monster, becoming a producer on Monster happened out of a necessity. Uh, Patty Jenkins was a first-time director. We knew the material was going to be risky. We were working with financiers who didn't quite understand fully the movie that we wanted to make. We knew that. And I became a producer on that through the advice of my manager at the time. And she said, you should do it because it's a way for you and Patty to protect this film. And so that's how it started. And she was right, you know, towards the end, as we were cutting that film, there was a lot of pushback. And if I didn't have that title and I couldn't kind of dig my heels in for for us, uh, the movie would have ended up very different. But I find that I find that now, yes. And then, you know, when I started, it was a lot of vanity deals. And so it took it, it took way longer for me to be taken serious as a producer than it did as an actor to be to be completely blunt. Um, and I think even still today, people are shocked that I'm on set and that I'm there every single day. And I start my day two hours before everybody else do and uh, that, that, that it's an actual real job. So if I didn't like it as much as I did, I don't think I would do it because because it's a. Uh, it's, it's a huge commitment. It's not, it's, it's sometimes harder than being an actor. You know, as an actor, you show up for whenever you're needed. When you're producing something, you're, you're there sometimes through the beginning of the development stages and then all the way through to shooting it, which is, could be like a good two years of your life. So if you don't love it, I don't think you should do it. But I do tell actors to at least produce once and to really produce because it gives you you become a more empathetic actor. You are more empathetic to the process. I think sometimes as an actor, you can become very self-absorbed and just like you're a part in that, um, in the making of a film. And I think being a producer at least just once makes you maybe a little bit more open to pushing call times, um, being on time (laughs) and stuff like that. But I do love the creative part of it. I think the biggest thing that I love the most is working with writers. I absolutely love developing with writers. It's been really interesting in this period that we find ourselves in now. It's been really nice, you know, not being able to go out and make movies. But all all I'm doing is developing. And it's 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 really nice. Do you think that you would direct sometime? Do you think you'd take it another step forward? 
I'm, I'm totally open to that. I, I haven't actively been looking for anything to direct. I don't, I, so I'm not saying that I would never, but I haven't, I also, I'll be honest with you. I haven't like had a real creative need to want to do that. I really love working with directors and creating opportunities. And I, I love being the facilitator. I love bringing the resources and, and, and building out the capacity to make a good movie. I love that challenge. Well, I love the way you always take a challenge to, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, looking at the scope of your career, those decisions really pushed your longevity to me. I mean, I look at it and I'm like, Charlie's just as relevant today as she was when she just came right out of the, you know, when she first got her SAG card. We were all talking about her. We're still talking about her now, almost 25 years later. What do you think were some of the key decisions, you know, other than choosing not to be typecast, obviously, in your career that is that has given you the kind of longevity that you've had? You know, opportunity is a big one. I think that I've been very aware throughout my career that you're only as good as the opportunities that are awarded you. And I, I obviously now am in a position where I kind of create that opportunity for myself, but leading up to that place and having that luxury, I was really at the mercy of other people providing that opportunity to me. So, you know, people like Patty Jenkins and Jason Reitman, who were, you know, James Gray filmmakers who just really backed me and uh, wouldn't take no for an answer when a studio said, no, she's not a big enough star and kind of refused to make their films without me, uh, even Taylor Hackford and, to, and um, Devil's Advocate. I've had a lot of filmmakers and producers back me and give me opportunities. And listen, I, I, think, I think there's truth in having to be prepared for that opportunity when it comes. But I would say that I am very, very aware and super grateful to those filmmakers who um, created those opportunities for me back in my career. And still today, I mean, I still work with Jason on that level. Mm-hmm. He's, um, and I would love to work with Patty again. But I think that was the thing that made my career interesting, made me be able to do things that were outside of my comfort zone or what people expect. And I think in a weird way, when I look at my career, it's, it's the surprise element. It's the fact that I, when I make movies, the thing that I'm the most proud of is when I we start doing press junk, it's just getting this constant feedback of like, well, you, that was such a surprise. I would have never thought you would be in this movie. Like, I love, I love that. I love that I've been able to do that for as long as I have. I'm, and I'm really grateful. Well, I think you don't get enough credit for changing what success looks like for a woman in Hollywood. I, I don't think that because you don't ask for that attention. It's never been part of your agenda, but it is incredible with the stuff that you've done with Jason Reitman to me, just such explores the condition that is female on, you know, from <laughs> the young adult side of it to the Tully side of it. And also, um, I'm still bitter that you didn't get an Oscar nomination for Furiosa for Mad Max. I will just say that. I mean, my children uh-huh. watched that. They were entirely too young, but they'll talk about it later in therapy. And I was like, this is a masterpiece. You need <laughs> to watch this. But that, too, is another incredible female heroin on screen. Well, for that is really nice. And I, I am going to walk with my head held high. Yeah. after. You <laughs> well, so you, I don't feel worthy of it, but thank oh, you. You should feel worthy of it. You work hard. Uh, but let's talk about your confidence and your resilience. I want to know where that comes from. Even if you don't have it, you present it all the time. You know, I know that none of us can walk around feeling a 
100% confident. We're, we're just as scared as someone else is. We're just as fearful. But you present this kind of, I'm going to, I, I've got this, or I'm going to fake it until I, until it comes to me. Um, and I have had the privilege of meeting your mother. So she's like the OG of badasses. So I kind of have an inkling of, of, of where you get that from, but can you just talk to me a little bit about that for yourself? Yeah, I think being raised in a country like South Africa, I think definitely had a lot to do with just how I was formed as a, as a human. And I think people who come from places with a lot of turmoil can maybe relate to that. It's just a different kind of awareness. And I grew up in a place where life was hard and I, I grew up fast and saw a lot of atrocities and a lot of death and, and pain at a very young age. And there's a philosophy with Africans. This is across the board on that continent. Um, I don't, I, I, I think of Africans as just being very resilient and there is an element of us we're just survivors, you know, we grow up on a continent that has a lot of things that you have to kind of overcome. And I think that has always kind of been my personality. So on the outside, it might look like I'm completely okay, but on the inside, I'm just, you know, it's just pure panic at all times. <laughs> I think all of my creative, creative energy is always kind of comes from a very solid foundation of fear. I don't necessarily show it, but it's always there. And I think it's the thing that drives me the most, but there's always this huge fear of failure and fear of maybe not being able to succeed or being able to actually pull off what is expected. And, and that's been, uh, that's been my biggest driving force. I think I've never, ever felt completely confident in anything that I've ever done. Uh, even when I was a ballerina, there is a juxtaposition to it where I definitely know because of the fight that I've had to endure, uh, just as a woman in this industry where I know the value that I bring to the table. I have a great confidence in that and, and feeling the unfairness of not necessarily always getting a seat at the table. So in that sense, I am, I'm pretty strong and I can come across, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be here today with the, the career that I have if I was a pushover or if I didn't kind of like force myself into the door. But when it comes to the creative part of it, there's always this element of fear of failure that lives and breathes in, in, inside me. I'm curious. So like after you get the validation of, of winning an Oscar for monster and does that change the next day? Do you feel like when you're, and obviously you got, uh, you know, you've had an Oscar nomination, let's say for obviously for most recently for bombshell and playing Megan Kelly, do you gain confidence or is it kind of like you start again every time you enter uh, a new part every time you go on and sign on to play another part does it kind of you start at zero or do you build does it build on on what you've done before i th i think it's the same i mean i feel like i feel like my level of fear of failure <laughs> is somewhat sustained but um i think i think maybe even more after the oscar because there was this the expectation was somewhat um overwhelming you know i felt i felt like i was under a microscope whereas before that i felt like i was working in complete darkness and people weren't really aware of what i was doing and then the you know like monster came out nobody knew i was working on and then after an oscar it's like everybody knows exactly what you're doing and they're already like 
assessing what it's going to be and why you shouldn't do it. And, you know, everybody has an opinion. So in a sense, that makes it harder. But it also, I remember so vividly the morning after I won my Oscar, I woke up, I had like one false eyelash on still. I had like my makeup on. I was a complete disaster and I came downstairs and there was just like a, a, like a massive dog poop that I had to pick up and deal with. And I remember as I was picking it up, I was like, nobody knows. Like life actually just goes back to normal. (laughs) Like you just have to uh, kind of, you know, go back to the job. Like that's it. Like life continues. Yeah. Uh, That's very funny. And your, your company, Denver and Delilah is named after dogs, right? Is that Right. You've always had animals in your life. Yeah. Uh, the company's named after the first two dogs that I had here in L.A. because uh, I was living a gypsy life. I was living out of a suitcase four years prior um, to those dogs coming into my life. So there was no reason for me to adopt two dogs, knowing that I wasn't really settled anywhere. And so I named my company after those two dogs because in a weird way, I felt like like me meeting them and adopting them, there was like some knowledge that I was going to stay here for a while and that things were going to work out. And so I found it only fitting that I, I named the company after them because in a weird way, because of them, I ended up staying here and really giving this a shot. Right. It's like you're challenging yourself because uh, you came over really initially to, to dance, right? In ballet, right? In New York at the Joffrey. Yeah. Well, the thing that brought me over was modeling. I, I won a modeling contest in Italy when I was 16, but my passion was ballet. And um, I went to the art school in Johannesburg and I, I, that was the only career that I really wanted. So everywhere I went as a model, I would study ballet and kind of took, a, I took advantage of the fact that I was being able to study in, in great studios where I've always, you know, I've always just heard about um, and then all of a sudden I was actually there and I could participate. So that was the thing that I think creatively kept me alive because I wasn't a very good model and I didn't necessarily feel a creative satisfaction from it. And I think dance and losing that career was how I came to the conclusion that I should maybe try being an actor. It was really, truly understanding what I loved about ballet was not necessarily, you know, the technicalities of it. It was really the storytelling of it. And I wanted to, I wanted to fill that void. I wanted to try and find something that could fill that void and, and acting really helped with that. Well, I did love your dance sequence on the Oscars with Channing. That was pretty special. I would only do that for Seth MacFarlane. There's nobody else in this world I would do that for. <laughs> Uh, how have you been doing with the kids in quarantine and homeschooling and how are you guys faring? Good. You know, we're, uh, you know, everything, we look at everything in, in, in perspective, we are healthy. And so we take that as a, as a, as a huge blessing. And um, yeah, I mean, we're stir crazy like everybody else. Uh, the little ones, you know, my eight-year-old the other day said uh, she was like kind of going down the list of people she wanted to go and do a sleepover with. And I, you know, to explain to her, like, we can't do stuff like that right now. And she was like, I just need to get out of this house. 
<laughs> so dramatic for an eight and a half year old. I mean, so she's like, mom, I just need to get out of this house. So aside from that, we're, we're doing fine. And it's nice to have summer break and not be homeschooling. And, and really, I, the honest truth is after bombshell and, and going through the, that award circuit, I was really dying for some time off and just being home. So I'm, I'm really taking advantage of this moment that I have with my family. I know it's, it's, everyone's talking about like, I never get out of sweats and I washed my hair today. I mean, (laughs) I know, right. I shaved. That's like a big one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I've been asking everybody this question as I wrap up the interviews and basically for someone that has been in this business for a while and has had um, their ups and downs and and real disappointments, things that you didn't want to, you know, that you thought would end one way and didn't and real highs and highs and lows. What is some of what's what advice do you have for for younger people coming up to kind of navigate the ebbs and flows of what a career in this business is? Well, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a tough one and you have to, you have to grow some thick skin. Um, you cannot take a lot of criticism personally and you have to kind of approach it with, uh, you know, a constant kind of educational aspect of like, okay, well, this isn't, this is, this is kind of shitty right now, but what can I learn from this? And it's, again, I think you have to have a resilient personality because this this is an industry where you really have to prove yourself or if you get lucky and you get that first hit, then you have to somewhat sustain that. I mean, it's, it's a constant kind of pushing of the envelope and raising the bar. I would also, I would also say there's a, there's a huge amount of discipline that comes with this industry that I think a lot of people take for granted. You have to constantly work uh, at your game, you know, you got to, because other people will are, are surely out there doing it, and they're you know the you're only uh, what's the saying you're only as good as your last film. I mean, you have to constantly remember that there you can't kind of just lean on your laurels. You have to you have to be a hard worker, and you have to be willing to invest a lot of time and energy in it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think of just the focus and resilience and tenaciousness that it must have taken to make Mad Max that was postponed and you're in the desert and you're doing it at starting and stopping and just the conditions like you had to stay as an actor. You have to stay so focused, you know, through a shoot like that. And also uh, let's talk about bombshell. I mean, you had the studio disappear two weeks before you were about to shoot that film. (laughs) Like it's, you have to be able to pivot and, you know, figure out like, okay, now I'm turning in this direction and I've got to, you know, focus in order not to lose this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And again, I think, I think all of that stuff is easy if you actually really love it. Right. I think if you have a real passion for it, then there's a part of you that just won't give up. That's how I felt about Bombshell when we got presented with that uh, horrible information and we had you know actors flying in and we we were on a location scout we were literally we had all our department heads in a van location scouting when that news came in there's a part of me I don't give up easily and I I feel like a lot of my career is because I'm not necessarily good at taking no for an answer um and I think when you really believe in something, that's easy. You know, I, I really believed in that film. I really, really believed in that film. The same with 
with Mad Max. You know, that was tedious. That was a three-year process where we almost made the film, then we didn't. I was in constant training for it. Warner Brothers wouldn't let us make any other movie. So, you know, creatively, that was really frustrating. And then trying to maintain the physicality that was needed for that film over a period and not knowing when we were going to start. But again, I always say, you know, in comparison to working in a mine every single day, really? Like, I think we have it pretty good. (laughs) I think we're lucky. I think, uh, so that's how I always look at it. Mm -hmm. Now, are you thinking about what you want to do next? Or are you just, like you said, you were developing or or is there another area that you want to explore? Yeah, I mean, I'm developing a lot of stuff uh, and I am... Yeah, I have something in mind that I want to do as soon as it's safe to go out there in the world and work again, which I don't think will be for a while. But uh, I definitely I think I know what, I, what I'm doing next. Yeah. As an actor. Mm, I like that teaser. Yeah. <laughs> that little cliffhanger. Uh, well, Charlize, thanks so much. Always love to catch up with you and congratulations on the movie. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.